Good morning. Good morning. Oh, it's hot. How's everyone doing? Great. All right. I am Pastor Joseph, one of the pastors here on staff. For those that don't know me, I'm not the lead pastor. Uh, Chris, our lead pastor, is on sabbatical this month. And so as we start this new series, Testing God, you will see just my beautiful face and James uh, <laughs> this month preaching this sermon. But I'm glad that you're here on this morning as we're starting this new sermon series. It is exciting. I promise you it's a good word as we look at the rise and fall of Mr. Gideon. All right. How many of you heard the story of Gideon? Yeah. All right. So hopefully we can tackle this. And now you're equipped and you know if you want to get ahead, just read Judges chapter six and seven, a little bit eight, and you'll be all right. Amen. Amen. All right. So for those that don't know, we like questions. I'm starting to like questions more and more. Uh, You can tell by our podcast that went from like 10 minutes and all the way to an hour this past week. And so it's been real good answering a lot of the questions and uh, having fun laughing with some of the hosts that are on there. But if you have questions, you'll see this phone number, and we'll answer them throughout the the week and the rest of the month over Gideon. Or you can ask questions that are off topic. We'll take those, too. Those are fun questions as well. So make sure you'll see this number. I'm looking forward to your questions, so I'm telling you. you I usually don't say that. You know, I'm maturing. I'm maturing. Uh, (laughs) You can clap for that. Clap for that. Clap for that. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Like, we like to have fun. And so if you haven't noticed yet, we're going to have fun. We're going to get loose. We're going to talk. I want you talking back to me. I love that. Now, another story for you to laugh at me. Uh, when I was, I would guess I was about seven or eight years old, my mother asked me, probably like six, actually. My mo- I asked my mother if I can go out and ride my bicycle. She told me no. I said, well, I'm going to go ride it anyway. All right. And so I go outside, and I ride up to the top of the hill, and we, it was this deep slope. I don't know if my mom remembers this, but it was a deep slope in like a cul-de-sac turn little thing. It wasn't a cul-de-sac. Like, I don't know what the half cul-de-sacs are called, but it kind of turned into that. And so I went to the top of the hill, and I started riding my bike down, and I had forgot that I didn't have any brakes. I know. <laughs> dumb. Six-year-old me, not very smart. And so I'm, I'm like trying to put, I couldn't really put my feet on the ground to stop. And so I'm going full speed. Y'all, this was a steep hill. And I started screaming, Mom! That, like, I'm screaming, crying, screaming. And I remember just hopping a curve because I couldn't turn at those speeds or I would have crashed. And I just ran and broke somebody's fence in the, in the yard, like ran, like, ran through the fence. That's how, yeah, true story. Like, I can't make this up. True story. Mom is here. She's saying yes, yes. So she's telling you it's the truth. And, and the reality of it is, though, is that this is our life cycle sometimes when we think about our walk with God. What can happen is God tells us something. In this instance, mother told me not to ride the bike. God tells us something. We test God in our identity and what he tells us to do. And these are just a few ways we do that. We want to do our own thing. We're seeking solutions outside of God. Right for me, it's like, well, she told me, no, I'm going to figure out a way to say yes. I'm going to figure out a way to get this done. And, and, and you, you'll see that there's always a response to our disobedience. For me, it was breaking someone's fence. Funny part about that is my mom came out laughing at me. <laughs> and, and this is back in the night. Well, I guess it would have been late 80s, early 90s, when America's Funniest Home Video was really popular. She said, oh, I wish you would have recorded that and got that on America's Funniest Video. <laughs> my own mama, y'all. But, but this is what we do. We seek our own solution. We want to do our own thing, our own way, our own time, how we want 
to do it. This is how we test God. Another way we test God is we hide. Uh, J4, my son, he's Joseph IV. Everyone calls him J4 for those that know. But J4 uh, has a uh, needle phobia. Like, he is scared. Like, like, my wife used to be scared of needles. But his is, like, to the 25th power, to the, to the point to, like, he knows he has a doctor's appointment a week in advance. He's like, oh, we're like, what's wrong? I got to go to the doctor. I got to get shots. Like a week before the shot, the anxiety rises, this fear of, of just the shot. What's good for him that lasts for a moment? Like it's literally like, boom, and he's done. He's done. And then like after, afterwards, all that anxiety is just gone. He's like, oh, that's it. And he's smiling and playing like he hadn't been stressing over this past week of getting a shot. But we do that also with our identities with God where we, we actually, he's telling us to do something and we fear like, God, I don't know if I should talk to this person in the Walmart line. I don't feel it in my, in my spirit. God, I don't know. If I hear you saying, say hi. All you have to do is say hi. But we, we allow ourselves to fear of, I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can handle it. And God wants us to understand that he got you. Another way we test our identity with God is we reject who he says we are. We reject who God tells us we are. He's called us to something, and it's easily rejected by, you know, saying, well, God, I mean, I know what you said, but I know me. As if the creator doesn't know his creation. And this is, this, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. When you think about uh, the book of Judges, uh, it's a bunch of judges. There's no kings, and, and none of that has happened. You see judges. God allows people to, to rise up to defend and the oppressed, and you'll see this cycle throughout Judges where they're just not choosing God after saying they would choose God. All right, so that's where we're going this morning. If you pray with me, God, we thank you. We love you for who you are. God, you are perfect in all your ways. There is none like you. God, there is none like you. And God, so we jump into this text, God. I pray that you reveal who you are in us. God, I pray that you will reveal what you've called us to do. God, I pray that we won't hide, we won't reject, we won't look for other ways around what you've called us to do, God, that we will seek you first. God, we love you. God, we thank you. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And so if you look at this real quick, this is just a cycle of judges. Apostasy, which just means they rejected God, to oppression. So we reject God. We become oppressed. From oppression, they're like, oh, I don't want to go through this anymore. Then they repent. They're delivered through a judge. Then they start to cycle over again. You see this over and over throughout the book of Judges. This is on the cusp of, and you don't have to turn here. I just wanted to read a couple of verses from Joshua, and it's not even up here because I wasn't going to do this. But I think it's really important for us to see this. The last chapter of Joshua, Joshua 24, it's only like four or five pages back if you have your Bibles. But... At verse 14, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is the people's response to what Joshua was saying. Verse 16, he says, Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. 
For it is the Lord our God who brought us out of, uh, out of our father and our fathers up from the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery, and who did those things, those signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Wow. So their response to Joshua, he's saying, for me and, my, me and mine, we're going to serve the Lord. Their response, me too. Me too. Almost as if it was a question. Me too, but let's see. Now, now we look at uh, Judges chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Judges chapter 6, look at verse 1. Look where it starts. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That's how the story of Gideon starts. They're coming off of 40 years of peace. 40 years of peace. And maybe it's just me, but it's easy when you've been in peaceful situations to not feel like you need God as much. You don't pray as much. You don't read as much. You don't pursue as much. You don't help others as much. After 40 years... They did evil in the sight of God. The one thing he said was don't serve no other gods. That's the prerequisite. And they did it. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midian, of Midian seven years. Everybody say seven. seven. Seven years. Now look what they endured for or went through for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So this land that was given to them by God, they're now hiding, hiding out for seven years. Something given to God, but it was their choice. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east will come up against them. They will encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. This also means destroy, so they're not even taking it. You ever, my, my, son and I, my son and I do Legos together. Every now and then we build up Legos. We got the big Legos, we got the small Legos. You know the first thing he wants to do after we build something? Like, why do you want to tear it up? All this time we spent, and he's going to crash them all together. What in the world? This is them. They're just going through the land, destroying for no reason. They don't want it. They don't want the land. They're not even killing them. For seven years, this cycle, they plant the seeds, the Midianites come, destroy the land, then they leave. Take what they want. You see that. It says they devour uh, the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep or ox or donkey, for they will come up with their livestock and their tents. They will come like the locusts in number. They would oh, oh, come back. Oh, there we go. Both they and their camels would not be counted, so they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel brought very low, was brought very low because of the Midians. I guess I'm going to just use the Bible right here. <laughs> I tried. I tried to use all the technology up here. Uh, <laughs> verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of the Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Y'all, this is important for us to understand right here. Seven years of enduring someone stealing your livelihood. Not because God forgot about them. Not because of God stopped 
saying, I will help you, but because they chose to serve and worship other gods. They chose to do whatever they wanted to do. Seven years. Prayer should be your first response, not your last resort. Prayer is our defense. Prayer is our fortress against the wiles of the enemy. We have prayer. We can call out to God in prayer anytime we want. Thank you, Jesus. Right? I don't have to go to someone and, and confess my sins to them. No, I can go straight to God. I don't have to go through someone outside of Jesus Christ. I can just call out to them. When I'm going through seven years, they allow themselves to be in the situation that they're in. Some of us are caught in these sinful cycles, in these, this cycle of fear and hurt, and you don't have to be. God says, I'm right here. You just have to cry out. And we see that. Look at verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet. See, the Lord responds to your prayer. It may not always be how you want him to respond. It may not be what you want when he responds, but he responds in a perfectly godly way because he's God. This is what he does when he sends the prophet. He says, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. I don't know about you, but when I'm in my lowest of low, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't need nobody telling me why I'm in my lowest of low. I don't know if you, I, I know I, I try not to do this as much as a father because I know I didn't like it as a kid. But when that parent is disciplining you and they're telling you all you did wrong, I don't know what I did. I don't need you to tell me again. Just give me my whooping. Just, just, what you go, or give me my discipline. I don't know. I'm sorry. On the butt. On the butt. On the butt. Just ground me, whatever you're going to do. That's just me. And so God's sins, they need to be reproved. They need to be rebuked. They need to know where they messed up. They need to know how they fell short because apparently they forgot. It's so easy to forget what God has done for you and what he's brought you out of. So sometimes we need to be reminded of who God is. So what we see is this prophet comes not to save them, not to bring them out, but just to remind them of who God is. Amen? Amen. He said, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of who was impressed, and drove them out before you and gave, gave you their land. Verse 10, it says, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the good gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. First point is this. The Israelites test their identity in God. Uh, my daughter, funny character. Uh, she's more like me than probably my son is in the sense of stubbornness. I know you don't believe me. I'm a little bit stubborn. But she'll literally sit on the floor playing with something and she can't put the puzzle piece together. And so instead of asking for help, uh, what does she do? She throws something at the wall. She starts yelling, throwing like whatever. It doesn't matter if it's a cup, whatever's in, in front of her, she throws it. And in my mind, and she starts screaming like, ah! And we know when she does those like screams, it's because she's frustrated because of what she's in. These, the Israelites forgot whose they were. And so for seven years, they didn't cry out to the God of Israel. The God, that's why they had to be reminded of who God was, because they were disobedient to him. 
They had to be reminded. My daughter, we, we walk into it, what's the matter? I can't even get it. What do you do? Ask for help. Some of us are trying to figure things out in life on our own, and God is saying, I'm right here. Ask me for help. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Just ask. I'm right here. I got you. I got you right where you're at. I can take care of this. This is what I hear God saying, and God wants that from us. But again, our prayer life becomes a last resort. It's a response to stressful situations versus just relationship. God doesn't want, he doesn't just want you to come to, to you when you want something. You know those phone calls you get when somebody call you and you look, you like, oh, they want something. I'm not picking it up. <laughs> I wonder how, how often God is looking at the, the phone lines and looking when he calls and says, Joseph, I know what you want. I know you want something. Everybody has that. We are that. And God says, I want you when things are good and when things are bad. I want you in the peace and the stress. I want you in the hurt and the healing. He said, I want access to you all the time. And it's not that I stop accessing you. It's you stop accessing me. So that was the people. Now let's get to Mr. Gideon. Look at verse 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah. He's under an oak tree. That's all he's doing. Which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in, in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. And so what's going on right now is you just heard how the Midianites, they come through, they ravage, they pillage, they destroy, they take, they do what they want, like locusts. So that describes the number and, and the, like how much damage they are doing. Locusts come through, they eat up everything, they tear up everything, and they leave nothing. Right? We just heard that. And so what he's doing when it tells us he's uh, beating this wheat in like a hole where they stomp the uh, grapes out, right? He's hiding because he can't make a big scene because if he makes a big scene, starts beating it, stuff, the, the chaff begins to float, the Midianites will see him, they'll come in, tear it up, and then leave. And so right now he's hiding. He's scared. And look what, the, look what happens. I thought this was so cool. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So he's hiding, scared, in a low place, and the first thing the angel of the Lord does is says, the Lord is with you, almighty man of valor. Right where you are in your lowest place, God is with you. You may not believe it. You may not trust it. You may not even see it. But right where you are, through the hurt, through the pain, God sees you. God is there. God wants you. God can do more with that. It says, and Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us. See how he flipped it? The angel told him the Lord was with you. He said, well, what about us? So often God is calling you to do something, and you want to bring everyone into the picture. Maybe it's just me. I'm guilty of it. My wife gets on me all the time. I was like, oh, look, I know God wants me to do this. I need to call. Why are you calling people? God gave it to you. What God has for you, it is for you. This is what he's calling you to. He said, the Lord is with us. Why then has all this happened to us? As if it was the Lord's fault. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of the Midianites or of Midian. And one of the things you have to understand with this, it's not that Gideon doesn't believe in God. 
his response to God saying, I'll be with you, is if God's going to be with me, then why am I here hiding, pressing this, this, this wheat, knowing that the Midianites are out there trying to destroy everything? If God is with us, why am I in this situation? I believe God, but I don't see God moving. I don't see God doing. And the Lord turned to him and said, so this whole time he's talking to him, he ain't even looking at him. How powerful God is, because remember, this is the, Lord, the angel of the Lord, and I don't even know if Gideon can handle this yet. But he says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? Too often we think that our inadequacies aren't enough to do what God has called us to do. If God sends you, the God of completion, the God of fullness, a God that is more than adequate enough, then who can stand against you? We, uh, you imagine, I just, and, and I'll say this, Lizzie, so we did preaching practice uh, this past week, and one of the things Lizzie told me, this is the first time she had ever sat in on, lit, on a preaching practice, uh, if you've been here before, you know I don't like preaching practice, we basically preached the sermon before, I, I'm okay with it now, but uh, we preached the sermons before they actually happened, so people can critique us and stuff, and Lizzie came in, and you know what she noticed? Y'all, the first thing she said, because I had just copied and pasted off the internet, just, she said, well, you didn't have your quotations on here. I was like, well, I copied and pasted. That was the first thing she said, right? I was like, okay. I was like, well, you can bring it some more heat. And you know what she told me? She said, well, I don't really connect with your kids' stories. She didn't say that. I'm sorry. That's, that's, she might as well have said that. Right? She might as well have said that. But, but the, the reality is, when I think about how God has called us to do something and what God has called us to. It's about us being uncomfortable, being relational, being willing to go an extra mile, then a second mile, then a mile after that, being able to do those other things and being challenged. And so here Gideon is, he's being challenged. Not, not that he doesn't believe in God, but that God wants to use him. Again, and I'm retract, Lizzie didn't. She said, I really love your stories about your kids, but you know, I just, I just heard, well, you suck. You know, that's what I heard. But that was just me. But too often we think when somebody's critiquing us that they're telling us everything that's wrong about us. When, when you begin to surround yourself around people that love you, you can accept the criticism because you know it's constructive because they want to see you do better. And so I, 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 I'm saying this because here Gideon is, he's hearing that he's more than enough because God is behind him. I'm telling you that, that God is all that you need. When God says you're enough, you're enough. It's easy to believe what the world says. Because look, look, look how he responds to this. He says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. He says, we, we at the bottom of the barrel. So all these clans, out of all of them, our clan is the weakest. And then he goes even further. He says, and I am the least in my father's house. That means he's the youngest. If you're familiar with this culture, what, what he's saying is that out of all the people you could have picked, not only did you pick the, the, the worst of the worst clan, you picked the youngest. Culturally, when you went to there to bless or give the, the inheritance or anything, who got it first? The oldest. And here the angel of the Lord is coming to this man that's hiding, telling him, you're mighty. There's purpose for you. I'm going to use you and I'm behind you. He's like, nah, I mean, I believe in you, but I think you got the wrong person. God can use you where you're at. 
He wants to use you where you're at. God is God. And so the gaps that you can't fill, God will always be able to fill because he is God. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Gideon tests his identity in God. You see, this, this test that Gideon has isn't one for his unbelief. This test is one of his humility because he doesn't think he's enough. God, if you want to use me, me, Joseph, God, if you want to use me, you know, I, didn't, I come from a, a single-parent home, God. I don't know if you can use me that way. God, I come from brokenness. I don't know if you can use me. God, I've been hurt. God, I've been lied on a little bit. I don't make enough money. God, how are you going to use me? And God says, watch me work. You see, God, he, Gideon is testing God, but God says, I need your unwavering, undivided, decided faith in me. And so what faith does, everyone say faith. faith. And we know faith. We say faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I get it. But in order for your faith, your spiritual faith muscle to grow, you have to have knowledge of God. So your faith can only grow as big as the object in which you know you have your faith in. Most of us trust that our cars are going to work. You trust that the, the person that's going to fix your car is going to do the right thing. I mean, you, you do, unless you know about cars, you don't know what to tell them. You just assume that they're doing what they're supposed to do. You have faith in them. I'm, I'm a dog person to the sense I like having dogs. I love having dogs, but I don't treat my dogs as humans. Right? There's a difference for me. Lizzie, this one's for you, too, because I know you like dogs. But I have a 100-plus-pound dog, and then I have a 10-pound dog. Yes, great. And when you see them, I wish I would. I should have brought a picture. I'm sorry. Uh, but my dog has allergies. Yeah, exactly. Why do dogs have human things in the first place? This is why I just like dogs. I don't love them. I like them a lot. But my dog has allergies. And so pollen season or whatever, he starts scratching, starts itching, nose starts turning red. I'll be like, what in the world? So I got to call the vet. And the vet says, well, this is what he needs. And you go pay all the doctor visits and they do all the tests. They want to go extra. I was like, he don't need that. He ain't got that. Just give me the stuff for the allergies. Then they give me this medication. Now, now what type of faith would I have in a doctor if I, one, never went to pick up the medication? As if call, calling, calling the doctor isn't enough to fix the problem that my dog has. Some of you catching it. Going to get the, the, the bottle of pills that my dog has to take and reading when to give it to him but not giving it to him isn't enough for my dog to stop scratching. You, get, you getting it yet? See, for some of us, our, our faith in God isn't actionable. There, there's no action to it. We think, we, we trust God to say, God says, you're enough, and then we sit there and we don't do anything. We don't respond to God saying, you're enough. We don't read, we don't pray, we don't go love our neighbors like God has called us to do, and we're wondering why 
uh, there's no growth in who we are and there's no growth or we're going through whatever we're going through. And, and God is saying, if you have faith in me, your knowledge of me, because you're pursuing me, begins to grow. Not only does your knowledge, you begin to believe not just, uh, you don't just believe in me, but you believe me. So that means you trust God's promises and the things that he said. Then there's this aspect of stepping out. The actional part is a risk. And it's not a, a jumping into an abyss type of risk where we don't know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. That's why we can risk. We know God's got us covered. That's, see, those three aspects of faith, they all, as they grow, our faith grows. Our, our faith moves forward. Our faith in God where we can trust him. And so this is his response. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, a whole lot of bread. The meat... He put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and, and he brought them to and, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them to him. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. So one of the things God was showing me in this is how a lot of times when. When God tells us to do something, we, we tend to respond with our own agendas. God says, hey, I got you covered. I want you to do this. It's like, okay, God. And when God doesn't move like we want him to move, we begin to get our checklist and our agenda, and, and we pr- make a proposal to God. God, hey, look, this is the best thing for my life. I know me. Right? And you have this list of things for your life and how you want to do it, where you want to be in life in five years or a year, six months, whatever it may be, and you present this to God as if God's going to check off on it. See, he, he presented all this stuff, this, this offering to the angel of the Lord in a sense of his agenda versus God's agenda. It's like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. If you, if you say you're going to use me, little old me, the weakest of the week, let me present this food to you and see if you take it. He had an agenda. This is the angel of the Lord's agenda. Then the angel of the Lord uh, reached out with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from sight. You see, whenever the fire, fire is a representation of confirmation, affirmation of what God said he would do. So when God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it his way. When he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it his timing. When he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it how he wants to do it. And God being God, he's super creative. He's not going to do it the same every time. It's not going to probably be something that you can think of him doing. Right? But too often we have this desire to do it how we want to do it. When I was uh, 18, 19 years old, I went out to the army, went to my tech school, and I came back and I was about to buy my first car. I remember it was a 2001 red Kia Sophia. Everything on the car was manual. Everything. Right? So you roll up this way. I know some of you may not don't even know what that is, what I'm doing. But you have to roll up your window up and down that way. I had to lean over when I want to let people come in the car and stuff because you couldn't unlock it. Everything on that car was manual. It was a standard stick and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know how to drive a stick. But back then, sticks, standard cars were cheaper, a lot cheaper. And so I got this as my first car coming out of all of my training for the Army. I didn't know how to drive one, so my mom was there with me. She drove it off the lot and all that kind of stuff. And I remember her telling me, like, the, the day of, she said, all right, when I get home, I'll teach you how to do it. I was like, okay. So she left to go work. You know, I'm just chilling, waiting to go to whatever I had for the Army stuff. So I was like, I, I had, like, a two-week break. I was like, you know what? I'm going to learn how to drive this car. Yeah. 
on my own. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, standards, they're easy once you get them, but they can be hard at first. Grayson can attest to this because he almost messed up my mom's standard when I tried to teach him. Uh, I forgot to tell my mom that. I never told her, so you can get them on later. <laughs> we was right here in the parking lot, and he was jerking and doing all this stuff. And anyways, that, I wasn't even supposed to say that. It just came back to my... <laughs> but so, so I had two options. When I pull out the driveway, if I go left, it's to the main road. If I go right, uh, it's kind of through the neighborhood. But of course, you go right, and you're not thinking it's that big of a slope, but it's another hill. Me and hills, we just don't really get along. If you understand how standards work, heels are the hardest when you're first learning. And I didn't know how. So I knew the concept. It took me a couple minutes to just get out the driveway, but I couldn't go to the main road, so I had to turn right. And I'm going up, and I get to the stop sign. I had to clutch all the way down. And all of a sudden, when I lift up, start doing a little shake thing that it does. And I'm like, oh, snap, why did it do that? And I try to start, I do it again, jerk, jump, 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 jump. You know what, I, I end up just rolling all the way back down the hill and backing it up <laughs> in the driveway and say, I guess I'm gonna wait till my mom get home. <laughs> but the, the funny thing is, like, how often are we doing this? God, we're looking for proof, we're looking for a way in, we're looking for God to say, and God said, just be patient and wait for me. Amen. Too often you have your own agenda, you're trying to figure it out for yourself, how you wanna get through this, how you're gonna do this. And God says, just wait for me. My timing is perfect. I got you. You have to trust that I got you. And then my timing is perfect. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. What is happening is he's seen, he's, he's seen God and he knows that from Moses and just from, again, he believes in God. His testing God isn't one of belief in God. It's one of his humility, like, God, I'm not enough. And so here he's like, oh, I've seen God. I'm about to die. God tells you you can't see his face without dying. We can't handle that type of glory. This shows you that he believes in God. He trusts God. And now God's just affirmed what he's called him to do. But the, the, even the crazier thing is, is you think, for, remember at the beginning of the story, for, 40 years of peace they had, right? 40 years, and they went back to worshiping these gods. Here, God just told them, the angel of the Lord just told them that I'm going to use you to bring the people out of oppression. His response is he thinks he's going to die. Catch that, that, that God told him, he just had this conversation with the angel of the Lord, that I'm going to use you. I'm going to, you're with me, you're going to be able to handle this. And he forgot that quick and thought he was about to die. We can't forget what God said he would do, who God is, and what he's going to take us through. Will it be easy? No. Will it grow me? Yes. Will I be better coming out of it? Yes. Will I have more faith in God? Yes. Will God be there as long as I'm pursuing him intentionally? Yes. God's got you right where you are. And so if it's brokenness and something in your life, in your marriage, on your job, your lack of a job, whatever it is, God's got you. He'll take care of you. He'll handle it. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which 
belongs to the Abyssalites. Gideon acknowledges his identity in God. God wants you right where you're at. He wants you right where you're at, who you are. And he tells us that, like from this story, we learned that it's not about his conceit and pride and thinking that he's all of that. No, he knew he was inadequate. His problem wasn't that, that he thought he was all that. He, his problem was he thought he was inadequate. And guess what? He was, but God isn't. God is adequate enough to bridge those gaps of where you are weak to where you feel less than. That's what God is for. That's who God is for us. That's why we can put our identity in him. That's why we can. And so what, what helps me understand this, um, of course, is just life period. My daughter, we, for the past few months, we had her in swim classes. And we took her out at the beginning of the summer because I'm like, we're about to go to the swimming pool every day. I never took swimming classes, so she's not about to take any more swimming classes because I can teach her how to do what they're doing. I don't know about y'all. If you ever watch your kid doing something like swimming and you're like, why am I paying for this? Uh, but this is me. Uh, but, and so we took her to the swimming pool, and I told her, jump in. Right? And she's at the edge, and she's looking at me. I say, jump. And I'm in the water. I'm not too far. Like, she can jump into my arms. And she's like, no, daddy. And she literally goes and sits down <laughs> right on the step, then kind of crawls in and then goes to the edge and then gets in the water that way. I get frustrated. I told my wife, I said, we ain't never paying for swimming classes again. I'm like, my daughter can't even jump in the pool. I, like, I've literally seen her jump in the pool, all those kind of things at the swim, and then she'll swim back to the walls. Like, what's going on? She had never experienced it with me. Right? And so for the past few weeks, we've been going to the swimming pool two, three times a week. And now this girl jumps on my back. She says, Daddy, go down there. I'm like, down where? She said, way down there. She wants to go to, like, the deepest part of the swimming pool. And, and she gets to the edge. I'm like, all right. She says, I say, jump. She says, scoot back, Daddy. I said, jump, girl. She said, Daddy, you too close. And she'll jump in the swimming pool, then she'll swim to me. And, it, and it's a beautiful thing to, to understand. When, when, the more time I spent with her, the more time she, she trusted me. She knew Daddy was right there. She knew Daddy had me. You see, God just wants you. He wants you to pursue him, spend time with him, and watch your faith grow in him and understanding that he has you. You can jump in the deep end with God because God got you. If God has called you to it, he's going to take you through it. And so my question for you today is, what is Christ calling you to do? What is Christ calling you to do? And we'll say in light of your identity in him, in light of who he is in your life, what is he calling you to do? Because just as there's a response to our sin when the, the uh, Israelites didn't worship God and they worshiped the other gods, the response was God removed his hand, his covering, and they had to go through those seven years until they cried out again. God responded to their lack of prayer. And then he also responded to their prayer. When they cried out, he sent someone. He's looking to break the cycle of your life where you allow other gods before him. He says, cry out to me, call out to me. So what is God calling you to do? Because as believers, we're here for a purpose. We're here to love God, but we're also here to love people through discipleship, through evangelism. How is God calling you to do that? And how will you respond to that? How will you allow God to take you through that? How? For us as believers, one of our responses is communion. 
in front of you, there's little cups in front of the chairs if you don't know. We don't have to break them out quite yet, but if you want to take the plastic off the top, I know it gets hard. Sometimes you got to fill around with that. You can do that. But on the night that, that Christ was portrayed, he was there, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body which is given to you. The beautiful thing about who Christ is is that he came and lived a life, a perfect life that I couldn't live, to die a death that I deserve so that my sins can be covered. And so for us as believers, we, we rejoice in knowing that the gospel is still for me. The gospel is still growing me. It's sanctifying me. I'm, I'm building my faith muscle in who God is in my life more and more and more. If you're, if you're here, and, and this, is, this is for believers taking communion, but if you want to take it and you want to believe in God, this is the time. Accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, what does that mean? I believe that Christ died for my sins. He had to do it. He had to be a mediator because I couldn't stand before God in my imperfect form. I'm not good enough. Christ came to fill those holes, those inadequacies, those I'm not good. There's nothing good about me. Christ is perfect. And so I can't stand before God because I'm not good enough. We see this modeled in this story of Gideon where he said, I'm not good enough. God says, I know. He said, but for you, Joseph Aiken, he said, I'm going to send someone for you're not good enough. So that you can be welcomed into heaven. So that you can rejoice and you can see me. You can't worship me. This is why Christ died. And he took the cup that same night and said, this is the blood. This is the blood of my new covenant. He said, I did it for you. He said, I'm the mediator now. I'm the go-between. And so he did that. And so before we take this, I want you to really, really think and pray and confess. We're going to take a few seconds, 30 seconds or so. And I want you to confess. You can do your today's sins. You can do your this past week's sins, whatever God is calling you to do. But I want you for about 30 seconds, pray to God before we take communion. And thanking God for who he is and, and, and him being adequate enough for our inadequacies. God loves you. Right where you're at. And oftentimes it's hard to understand how vast God's love is for us. But part of it is because of the time we spend with him. What is God calling you to? What is God calling you to do? Where is God at in your life right now? It wasn't by accident or happenstance that you showed up on this morning, that you shook whoever's hand, that you smiled on someone's faces. God challenges us to be more in him, operate in his Because I feel inadequate all the time. And the only way I can get that adequacy is knowing that I'm trusting in God that I can talk to this person because I'm trusting in God and that my strength comes from trusting in God, not trusting in Joseph Charles Aiken III. Because I'm going to fail on my own every single time. God wants you in your loneliness, in your loneliness, in your hurt, in your pain, in your brokenness. He says, cry out to me right where you are and watch me work. I heard someone say that when, when, when God flexes, the whole world shakes. And it's beautiful to think about how God has the ability to shake things up in my life. When things are going wrong, God is right there. He said, I got you. He said, trust me. Follow me. 
pray, read your Bible, do those things that I've called you to do. Get to know more about me so that when you're faced with the trials and tribulations that life tends to throw at us, that you're able to operate from a position of, I got this because of who God is, not because of who I am. And so when you leave and you walk out this door, I, I challenge you right now to talk to somebody that you don't know. Exchange numbers, get to know them more because I know for me, I, I, I do that intentionally because I know that God has called us to more. Stop hiding from who God is in your life and what he's called you to. Stop, stop trying to figure out things on your own when God says, I have a plan for your life. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And so what I'm doing, you won't see it coming. But if you trust in me, if you lean into me, if you follow me, if you allow me to do the change and allow me to do the movement, allow me to do the shaking, I'll work a miracle in your life. And you'll see this throughout this series we get in. God is doing a great work. And he's doing a great work in you too. So I want you to go have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.